Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is a show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's Tech Talks, we're talking to Rainbird Technologies Head of Communications, Nisha Dio. But before that, Hey, Jack. I'm in the building. You, you are. You are. You're a guest. <laughs> I know. I, I, was just, I was just explaining to you before we record. The lovely people downstairs at the Salesforce Tower obviously didn't recognise me. They were like, this is how you use your pass to get up to the lift and up the escalators. I just kept quiet. They didn't need to know that I'd worked it for three and a half years. It's it's fine. <laughs> Isn't it a bit depressing that they didn't recognise you? You've only been uh, gone about three a month. weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mind you, they're attrition down there. I mean, I'm not even going to Salesforce, but they, they change receptionists weekly, it seems. Well, it's, not Sales, it's not Salesforce. It's, um, What's it'll that? Be, it'll be, no, the, the management company is ah, separate, isn't it? Ah, fair enough. I well, anyway, they, they churn out staff like no one's business. But nonetheless, the security guard I saw every day and told me how to do it. So, hey-ho. You got to see the fish. I got to see the fish. I saw my, uh, my friends, uh, Stingray Parlour and Stingray Winston. Um, yeah, I obviously named the Stingrays. Uh, so yeah, that was nice. Cool. Yeah. And uh, any plans sorted for Austin? Yeah. Austin. Uh, so my team, I said, I-, I was blown away by the fact that in America they do breakfast tacos. It was a do phrase, yeah, right? It was a phrase unbeknownst what, to me. In in every state or just the southern states? No, it's it's probably a southern thing, but let's not put it past that. Is, is it a Taco Bell thing? I don't even know if it originated there, but it's just a breakfast. So I was like, I'd heard this, them talking about getting breakfast tacos, and I was like, whoa, what the hell is a breakfast taco for one? And it's it's exactly what it is, just without ground beef and it's eggs instead or something like that. So I we then start laughing about that, and then um, one of the girls in the team, Michelle, sent me a list of all the restaurants we're going to go to. There's 30 restaurants on there. I'm there for 11 nights. I'm told that... I've never been to the States. I've mm. never had Taco Bell. Mm. Uh, but I've been told that portions are just stupid. Yeah. And you're quite a small man. I'm very small. This and could be a struggle. I often... I say 80% of the time, I don't finish my meal as well. Um, which is why I've got Olio. But no one wants my... No one wants my scraps either. But hey... Uh, yeah, so I'm um, yeah, very excited to be heading out to Austin, Texas, which is... I've never been to that state before. You've really never been to America? No. David, not even New York with Haley. No. Oh God, I thought you've got to sort that out, mate. Yeah, maybe. Stop well, running, yeah. stop running around marathons and Alps and shit, and get out to the states. On that front, because it is important to communicate to people, is mm. it not? Mm. We are running the Hackney Half in mm. just what three weeks. Fuck. Yeah, nineteenth of May. And it's the second, so three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, didn't realise it was that close. Um. I know that you've raised a little bit, but yeah, near on eighty quid. Very good. Yeah. Um, two things: if 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 you come to our event next Thursday, we'll probably try and squeeze five pounds out of you. The event's free; it's for a good cause. So you know, just just a heads up. And beers and pizza provided by Tech Talks. We don't make any money off of Tech Talks. Absolutely so. true. Yeah. Uh, but equally, we have a just giving page. I'll mm. include it in the show notes mm. to this episode. If you would donate and help us just a little bit, Alive and Kicking, who you should be familiar with if you listen to the show because it is our advert, mm. we'd love you to back them. Or back us, I suppose. Back, back us, us to back to, them. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but talking of communications, we should hand over to Nisha. Yes, nicely done. 
So today we're talking to Nisha. Thanks for spending some time and, and talking to us. Yes. You work at Rainbird. Yep, I work at Rainbird. How long have you been there? Been there for about a year now. Yeah? Yeah, about a year. And what do you what do you do for them? So I am head of communications um, yeah. for the organization. So looking at branding, some some stuff around business strategy as well, yeah. um, marketing, you know, acro- across the board or look and feel it externally as well as internally. So communication for an AI business must be quite interesting at the minute because everyone has a preconception about AI and it's often not necessarily correct. So I can I could only assume that your job is a lot of time demystifying or dispelling myths. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That is true. Um, I think there, there are two components doing communications in AI that I think about. One, communications in general. Everybody thinks that they can do it. And to a certain extent, if you can communicate, you can do communications. But I think it's taking all of the facets within uh, who you are, who your identity is, who your audience is, mm. and really connecting them together. Yeah. And the other side is understanding the market. And that's where the AI piece comes into play because I think the AI market, obviously, it's... it's quite hyped and it's ever-changing and ever-moving so it's having a pulse on it but also identifying that given the fast change you know you you have to be alert and you have to encourage discourse to really understand where what what you should be saying and what are the problems and how do you actually create impact so I think it's a bridge between the two um, which keeps things exciting and your background is quite technical Right. Um, to a certain extent, um, academically. But, yeah, it's it's yeah academically. But I would I wouldn't say I'm an engineer or no. Yeah. No. But what, what what did you study at? Uh, well, at various yeah. schools actually. I was going to say at school, but you went to, to, to several different courses. Yeah. So um, I got I got my bachelor's at Purdue. Um, I did economics and political science. Um, I then got my master's at Harvard, and I did uh, international relations and liberal arts. Yep. Um, and looked at AI and policy specifically. Um, and the connection between the two. Um, And then I also did a certificate program at MIT around uh, AI and business practices. Yeah, I'd call that reasonably practical. (laughs) As soon as anyone says economics or mathematics or anything, I I just kind of, whole different world that impresses me. (laughs) Anyway, um, and I suppose that's probably important when you're talking about AI, because coming into a comms role talking about AI without the theoretical background. Yeah, yeah, I mean... You need that credibility, right? I, I, I think so. I think at least to understand it at a high level and to understand the nuances between them. I, of course, by, by no stretch of the imagination, I'm a data scientist or any, any of that. But, you know, at a macro level, really pinpointing, well, this, this is a piece of research that needs to be fully fledged and fleshed out. Um, but we, we're not there yet, so we mm. shouldn't bring that on the artificial narrow intelligence communication track, for right. example. So it's trying to control the hype to a certain extent. And you were, you were reasonably involved with the, with the US government. Uh, to, to a certain extent, um, as part of uh, my work with Harvard, um, we did a few research programs. Um, we also did a presentation around AI and policy um, with, with different segments of, of the government. Yeah. Um, just from an education standpoint, from a focus group standpoint, um, and just being more involved and encouraging that discourse. Because I suppose it's interesting. There's, there's often that blame that... Big tech can't self- self-regulate effectively, mm-hmm. and that's been borne out by what we've seen with Cambridge Analytica and so on. Yeah, yeah. But governments are ineffective at regulating. So people, the, the only natural choice would seem to be regulation by, by, by people, by their consumer choice. But that's equally not perfect. So 
I suppose if we're going to say governments have to get more effective at regulation, that education piece and that strategy piece is is critical. That the, the tech community has to work with governments. It can't just go, well, all right, we've we've done it badly. Over to you. Yes, I mean I think that is true, but also without impatience. A lot of times, because we're in such an innovative environment, there tends to be some sort of impatience around, well, why aren't policymakers or regulators really keeping up with the technology? And mm. given there's so much hype in this AI space, sometimes, like, you know, it's, it's reasonable to say it's difficult. If you even go back to, you know, the first time an automobile was made, it took a, a fairly long time to understand, well, there's a need to regulate, there's a need for seatbelts, there's a need for mm-hmm. safety. Um, and I think. The, the fact that we're talking about this now, it's, it's all over the news, you know, there is fundamental discourse of how the two connect faster um, mm. in this realm. So your background, you, you, you touched on it, uh, Purdue mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and Harvard, mm-hmm. but you, you're from the West Coast. I am, yes, yeah. And you grew up, um, I'm going to try and say this in a, in a way that's as, as polite as I possibly can be, but you grew up probably late 90s, early noughties in the, in the, in the West Coast. Y- yes, yeah, yeah. So, so Kind of that kind of bracket. Yeah, in the, in the 90s, yeah. Typical was, millennial yeah, kind of. I, I guess, yeah, if I can, I'll take the millennial tag. I, yeah. know, I was born in 84, <laughs> yeah. and I, I very much cling to that. So, But that must have been fascinating, because you're going through that first real explosion of tech in the Bay Area, your first-generation American, um, uh, surrounded by lots of kids in a very similar back kind of background coming from all over the world and these CEOs and engineers and doctors in this place it must have been a really exciting time to grow up yeah I mean now reflecting back it's definitely exciting and interesting but as a kid you just you, you never pinpoint that I think um, in in my childhood it was a typical suburban childhood even though my both my parents were strong proponents within the tech industry I suppose all kids think that their background yeah, is typical, it's until, typical they, until until yeah, they get yeah. out um, but I, I think I really noticed it um, in the late 90s and early 2000s when you know the real adolescent or teenage years were, were in front of us um, and you know I talk now about uh, being female in tech and what that means being a woman in AI what that means um, but that struggle was completely I, I was completely blindsided by that struggle because it wasn't clear to me I was in a very privileged environment where um, everybody around me was of some sorts a minority um, but we all came as first-generation Americans so you know our life our life at school was very different from our life at home. We would often, all of us would, or most of us would uh, speak different languages at home, eat different food, and then come to school with with a different type of drive and a different type of understanding of what, what the world is and where we're going. It's interesting, you kind of talk about the fact that there's such a, a mix of minorities when you're growing up. I, I don't know what the stats are around female participation in tech and minority group participation in tech in the Bay Area. Is it similar to London? Because London, you know, you're talking about 15% participation of women within technology, which is drastically low. Anecdotally, do (laughs) you feel that it's similar to London? Well, okay, so yeah, anecdotally, I would say, um, yeah, there are some similarities to London, sure, but I feel like in London, there there is a, it's very much more male dominated. Yeah. but sometimes glass ceilings don't look like glass ceilings, right? So it remains to be seen, even when you look at the London market in terms of tech, um, the great AI boom that seems to be happening here with you know, 
large companies moving here, Deep Mind being created here and whatnot, um, there it's almost it's on a different trajectory than the Silicon Valley, right? So if I think of my own childhood and my own peers within that, as as women who, who stayed in the area, that glass ceiling was unknown. It was just going in, working at the you know Facebooks or Googles or whatever it was as as a seamless trajectory. Yeah. Um, and all of that seems possible. The rhetoric I, I hear here is, oh, I couldn't possibly. There's an intimidation by the big companies. Um, for, right. for the big companies a little bit. Now, what I find quite interesting is, is you mentioned that there was kind of a high-stress environment around talking about technology growing up. I would have thought it would have been the opposite. You're surrounded by all of this innovation. You're yeah. in the middle of it. You wouldn't, I wouldn't have imagined it was stressful. Yeah, I think the point it was stressful was around well, how on earth do we now create impact? Like we're a generation where our parents, you know, they they were there during the internet boom. It was the first time, you know, they brought in computers and taught us how to type. And I think there was this urgency of we need to figure out and define what the next phase looks like and how on earth do we do that with all of this innovation our parents' generation propelled. But also, you know, there were some things that maybe they overlooked. And I think we're seeing some of that manifest now with the research we're doing the as a generation right the research we're doing where we're going um, and it's been an interesting journey but at the time when we're you know in high school or college going to college just that the stress around I want to create an impact but what do I do how do I go about it I think that's what propelled it um, I would I would say there was also an element of uh, I came from a, I'm first generation, came from a family of immigrants, and um, there's a push of work really, really hard so you deserve what you get, right? Work, make sure you're working the hardest that you can, being smart, you know, there's, there's privilege to that, but there's also pressure around it. Yeah. So I think that was cyclical, as long, along with the impact piece, and so I think that built up a strenuous environment at times. Now, it's, it's quite interesting to see where you think um, artificial narrow intelligence might take us over the next, say, decade or so. There's a report in The Guardian this morning uh, suggesting that the, the self-driving industry could, could be a £62 billion boom to the, to the uh, UK economy over the next, um, well, by 2030 anyway. Um, and I, I find that interesting because it would appear that the UK is well-placed with, with regulation and legislation, certainly around insurance, to make that happen. Do you see that as, as being quite an accurate prediction around what we can do with narrow AI, or are there roadblocks in the way that it can pre prevent those particular user cases coming to fruition? Yeah, I mean, I think some of these market studies and very very intelligent people have put these together, but um, when it comes to narrow intelligence and where, where exactly the flag is, that keeps on moving, right? right, at the rate of innovation, and I think it's the rate of innovation given the research, I mean, where AGI is going kind of dictates where ANI is, and that's what's perpetuating the hype, that's what's that's what's resulting in a lot of misinformation. And arguably, AGI at times seems really, really far away um, in, in actually recreating the mind and whatnot, and that's gonna make ANI, so the, the reality of self-driving cars being on our streets tomorrow and everybody having having one seems a lot farther away than it really is. Right. Right. So I think in, in that sense, regulation needs to keep up and, and some of that makes sense. But the devil is in the detail. Sorry, this might be a stupid question, but AGI and AI, which pushes 
the other further forward. I, I would assume ANI doesn't push AGI further forward, but is it therefore, just listening to what you're saying there, that researching AGI mm -hmm. is what is enabling the narrow intelligence that we're getting? Because you kind of look at something like uh, AlphaGo mm -hmm. uh, and so on. Is, is that because of the research in AGI or is it very particular research yeah, that I mean, enables I think, that? I think it's the relationship between adoption and academic research, right? right. So when things are researched academically, it takes a while for... Uh, consumers to learn about it, for, for it to be adopted in our daily daily lives and actually to be understood at times. And so it remains kind of fuzzy, the, the pull AGI has on AI. I mean, even if you think about uh, Jeff Hinton and his good work around deep learning, and he's, he's been going at it for a majority of his professional life, and only now has he won the Turing Award and being recognized and being, being understood almost, right? So yep. I think that push and pull is there. Um, as term in terms of ANI dictating where AGI goes, I think there is there is reason for the two to be a little bit disconnected, so so that it doesn't perpetuate the hype. Right. Um, so it actually can be maybe regulated, or there can be discussions around where this is going, and then it it slowly starts making it into into our daily daily lives. If we jump the gun, I think we rush into something we're all not ready for. So bringing it back uh, finally to, to AI in enterprise, Rainbird are a consultancy helping uh, bring kind of enterprise AI to market, right, for organizations. Yeah, so Rainbird, Rainbird is a really interesting company. Um, Rainbird has a platform, um, it's an AI-powered automation platform that scales and augments uh, best practice decision making within an organization. So wherever complex decisions are made, Rainbird as a technology can be applied. As an organization, we are, we're fundamentally transforming organizations, right? Um, we have the, the platform harnesses human knowledge um, and you work with subject matter expertise to put in the way you put in the way you make complex decisions and throughout that um, you're scaling and augmenting this complex decision making process within your organization um, holistically the way that will transform an organization it just makes the best people there better so every organization has a decision-making element to it to yeah, a certain degree yeah. so obviously the, the market's huge potentially for you guys but what what are the things that stop an organization implementing this if, if you're talking to um, a CEO or a head of tech mm -hmm. and there are challenges in front of them that are stopping them making use of this tech what is sure. it um, Sometimes there can be multiple elements. There's a lot of noise within the AI market. So when a, an organization is like, we want to get some AI and put it into our, our business, um, that needs to be contextualized. And right. so that's where our experts can sit down and work work together and say, okay, let's let's see which use cases can actually use can actually automate complex decision making within your, your organization. Um, so I think it's that knowledge. A lot of times also we see um, when it comes to implementing AI within your organization, people think it's going to be done in three seconds, right? right? And I think there's, there's a learning around it. And there's also, you know, our, our platform, we take, we take subject matter experts, um, we work with them, we work with knowledge architects, um, and teach, teach business professionals how to, how to work with this technology and how to think differently. And it's that thinking differently that I think will propel us into this next this next wave of innovation where we, we all have linear thinking. We all 
sometimes think in a very interesting rules-based way, but this is the rebirth of rules where you identify that and understand how you're making those complex decisions. Almost making me think of a rival. <laughs> right. Well, look, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thanks for taking some time out. And uh, well, it's Friday, so have a lovely weekend. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Uh, right. There's, there's a couple of points that jumped out to me here. Uh, the first one was probably tech needs patience. I was my, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. Like tech and patience don't go hand in hand. Mm. And I mean, look, Nisha's entirely right because the, the, the fast pace of tech has meant that regulation and, and stuff like that has lagged behind. We know that. We see that. Yeah. But yeah, be a bit more patient. We're, we're definitely not patient enough, you and I, Dave. She had an analogy and I know you love an analogy. Always. Yeah, cars and seatbelts makes perfect sense. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd love to go back in time, you know, quantum realm style, and see, you know, just how hard it was when, you know, Henry Ford made his first car and, you know, how long it took from the first manufactured product to everyone driving or, you know, not everyone, but... There was, there was a stat at AI Expo last week that was along the lines of... The majority, I can't remember the, the, the percentage, but the, 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 a very high percentage of car accidents in the first five years of cars being introduced were because cars have been built for men. Because, <laughs> because uh, basically because all the people who built cars were men. So they never... Bias in, bias out. Well, exactly, but unconscious bias. They mm. didn't consider what, what happens if women and children are in cars. Um, and it's Classic like, you know, men. You know, absolutely... Yeah, stupidity, but tech needs to understand why policymakers aren't keeping up because this is wholly new to them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is unconscious bias of a sort. Mm. I'm not saying it's okay, no. but totally, I understand exactly where Nisha comes from with this tech needs to be patience thing. There's, there's kind of a lovely cyclical feeling about Rainbird in that if our government installed it, maybe we'd get regulation moving faster, you know. AI that helps augment decision-making within an organisation. You chuck that at some politicians, we might actually get someone. We definitely need a rebirth of rules in politics as it stands as well. Yes. Rebirth of rules was something that I loved it when she said that. You know, we have to think differently. The rebirth mm. of rules. You can't simply adopt AI and expect it to work. There's got to be that education piece with it. And it, it's not just a this is the on-off switch. It's a wholly new way of working. I mean, that reminded me of Kate Mills's forever point that we spoke about on Thursday show, you know, don't just flow blockchain at a solution for the sake of it. And it's the same with AI. So many companies are just using it or thinking they're using it to just to stay up and keep up their competitors. But, you know, Rainbird are actually solving true, real business decisions day in, day out. Um, I, I loved, I, I'll be honest, I had to listen a couple of times back to the whole where AGI is going dictates where A-N-I is. Did you like my message to you when I got to that bit? Yeah. <laughs> What's the N stand for? That was the G. I got the, I got oh, the G. A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and sorry. I thought it was, um, what did I say I thought it was? Giant. <laughs> it's, 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 oh, giant. Giant. giant yeah. Well, you had narrow, so I thought it could be giant. Yeah, no, no, that, that, I'll go with that. I'll it's close with. enough. But there, there, there were those moments where I was like, I'm talking to someone mm. who has gone to MIT and Harvard and I'm struggling a bit here. I've got to be honest. But <laughs> the bit that I really did love was the way that she expressed that there's the reason for the two to be disconnected to stop perpetuating the hype mm. cycle. Mm. And it would help regulation. And I think that's a really interesting point because the, the, the discourse is AI yeah. and that goes out to the general public 
And yeah, sure, tech understands the difference between AGI and ANI. Mm. Um, you know, AlphaGo is ANI. It's not going to suddenly become sentient. It doesn't have that capability. Tesla cars, ANI, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Anything yeah. that is for a specific yeah. task is yeah. ANI. Um, but the general public doesn't know that. No. So when we're talking about self-driving cars, there are levels of self-driving cars. But as soon as you start talking to about self-driving cars to a member of Joe Public, they probably immediately jump to Johnny Cab in Total Recall. Not a dongle... Not that, Rider. No. Not a dongle that gets plugged into a Ford Mondeo. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting distinction to make. And it would help people go, oh, okay, just... Because we don't have robots walking around doesn't mean that we're not <laughs> making progress, but equally would help with regulation. And I, mean, I think that's brilliant that you made that point. It's it's such a good point that, you know, it's taken, I mean, uh, forgive me if I've missed it, but this was the first instance I'd heard of AGI and A&I on the show um, from an interview, which for so, me... Certainly for a good long time, yeah, if we've not, yeah, yeah. Especially. Uh, Rainbirds have been on the show before, James Duez and James Loft, oh. um, about two years ago. Was that uh, on the name? No, it was before no. you. Um, uh, and they were talking, I think they touched on it then, but mm. I mean, it's just, been a very long time. I mean, that, that, there's two educational pieces to take away from here, right? A&I and AGI, there's a huge difference. And Daily Mail and shithouse publications like that need to specify that when they're scaremongering. Fucking bastards. But also... That doesn't help them perpetuate and sell news, fake news. Well, exactly. That, that, that perpetuates the hype, doesn't it? Yeah. You yeah. know, the negative hype. But... Rainbird are also going out there and educating the US government on stuff like this, you know, and I hope that they're emulating that or, you know, maybe even sitting side by side with public, our friends mm. down the public, to reduce that um, stereotype of AI and how we're all going to get killed by robots. Right, do you mind if I get on a soapbox? Go on. We have often spoken about um, the fact that more diversity leads to greater investment, greater innovation, obviously more inclusion. And that, I don't know anything about Silicon Valley. As we've discovered at the beginning, I've never been to the States, so I've certainly not been to Silicon Valley. And yes, there have been excesses in big tech, but the picture that Nisha paints of an inclusive society where people are pushing each other forward, yes, there's stress around that, you know, I want to create an impact, but I suppose it's positive stress in that parents telling kids deserve what you get, yeah. and privileged uh, families but all from minority backgrounds, a real melting pot. And is it any surprise that so many tech giants, so many innovative companies, maybe they've gotten off the leash a little bit in recent years, but so much interesting tech has come out of an environment of first-generation families? It's, it's not a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence that all this amazing stuff was born out of the Bay Area and the Bay Area is seemingly one of the most diverse melting pots in the States, right? Yeah. That, that's no coincidence. We know that diversity equals success and stuff like that. What I found really interesting here is the fact that Nisha, with, I mean, I'm sure she realises this, but she adopted two personalities throughout her upbringing and stuff like that. Mm. And I would love to ask her if when she went into the first job or whatever, if she adopted a third personality. You know, just because like she had her young American teen at school, yeah. she had her you know, ethnic background and food at home, what was the mask for? Is it, is it really that different, though, to um, 
East is East, for example, which oh, is such a brilliant I love that film of, of Asian families growing yeah. up in 1970s Britain where they're all kind of like, you know, their father expects them to be good Muslim children, but they're all eating bacon sandwiches around the back with, them, yeah. with, their, with their Western kind of yeah. schoolmates. And, and it's just that hilarious yeah. kind of how does a first generation fit into two different worlds? Yeah. And you've got to admire families like Nisha, who, someone like that, who's, who's able to step yeah. into both worlds. The soapboxy moment, though, was... In a world where there's an increasing amount of populist discourse and we worry about immigration, mm. we worry about immigration wrongly and actually communities where you've got first generation families that work hard, deserve what you get, was the phrase that she said. They add so much to the economy and you just have to look, and not just economy but culture, mm. you just have to look at the success of Silicon Valley to underpin that. Yeah, totally. And I just one final point. The Bay Area versus London in that if you're a Bay Area native, uh, San Fran, Silicon Valley native, you will go straight up to Amazon, Google and stuff like that and demand a job. Us Brits, why don't we do that? It's, it, she's not wrong. Like, I, I totally believe that. I would feel intimidated being interviewed by Google, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. But it's a cachet. Right? <laughs> do you reckon you have to do a cash per test when you go to interview for these places? Do I? I am not a robot. Anyway, <laughs> but it's uh, that just it, again. It was a highlight. It was a point that was in my brain somewhere, but I'd never heard it before. And I just yeah, think yeah. us as Brits, you know, whether you're first, second, a hundredth generation Brit, we need to get more confident in going for these big ticket items. Well, I say we. I'm sure everyone is, apart from me. Maybe it's maybe us too. Yeah. 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 There yeah. we go. Uh, anyway, that will bring us to the advert break. As we said, it's not really an advert. It's a trailer mm. for why you should back us with a little bit of sponsorship, just to, to drill that message home again. In the eternal words of Mona Lisa Saperstein, give me money, please. If anyone's in Parks and Rec, good joke for them. Right. Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say about Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome back to Tech Talks. We've got one news story and then we've got something a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with a news story. Cycle from The Guardian. Hey! We haven't had it for a while, so I thought hey. you, could, you couldn't rinse me too much. L Hunt is the writer. All about Zuck playing Cupid. Oh. You've seen about this, right? What, is it a Facebook matching people now? Like, have you not seen this? No. Oh, yeah, so, so Facebook have, are releasing a feature called Secret Crush. Fuck. Right? Okay, so... Harking back to its humble beginnings um, as a tool... Wait, wait, wait. Ha, ha, humble beginnings so that students could fuck each other. That's Facebook's humble beginnings. I mean, that, that, 
I'm sure that L Hunt is being a little bit sarcastic here. Oh. Harking back to its humble beginnings as a tool for ranking strangers' attractiveness, <laughs> Facebook has announced a feature called Secret Crush, wherein users select the friends for whom they carry a torch. If your crush adds you to their list, and with up to nine picks allowed, your odds aren't bad, Facebook will reveal you to each other, and love will assuredly bloom. But if the feeling is not reciprocated, they need never know your identity, just one of the friends uh, just that one of their friends has added them as a secret crush. So if someone gets added by, say I, say 10 years ago this this was available and I added someone, they would get a notification that they'd been added as a secret crush, but unless they added me, they'd never know it's me. I think it's fucking awful. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's strip it apart a bit. This is, this is fine. <sighs> like, but... My, my issue with it isn't necessarily ethical or anything like that. It's more... Then Facebook are now harnessing data on who we find attractive. Yeah, no, so this is this is fascinating, right? Uh, to that point, uh, shares of Match Group Inc. that owns Match.com, mm. Tinder, OkCupid, fell by 22% after Zuckerberg announced this. Um, right? That's nuts. And why? Because they've got 2.4 billion <laughs> active monthly users. So, yeah... The data that they will get on who you are likely to fancy is colossal. Look, the, the cookies I get at the moment are bad enough. I literally moaned about my lunchbox once this week and I got an advert for it on my phone to get new lunchbox, right? Imagine if it comes up suggesting women. And, who you and might men. fancy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, women. actually, actually, Facebook did that. Facebook had that years ago. Do you remember? Don't well, instead, of, instead of a friend suggestion, it would be a girlfriend suggestion. No, you literally, I mean, maybe this was just because I was a 21-year-old student, but every suggested ad I had on Facebook for about a year was only attractive females and attractive males. Now, that's subjective, I know, but they've already tried this. Sort of. Yeah, I guess. Sort of. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for Facebook diversifying and trying new things and update, but this... No. My, my annoyance here is that I think it kind of perpetuates the worst excesses of laddish culture. You know that yeah. kind of like, who's yeah. the, the top five hot, hot girls in the office type thing? Yeah. Hot, hot, you know, which all prepubescent and then 15 years after men do, right? When they're alone with their friends, who do you think's hot then? You know, and it just, it just reinforces that, which we all do and is stupid, but we don't need it encouraged. Thank fuck Gen Z don't use Facebook. Yeah. Right? Or it's just going to be a whole other thing. It's just going to be our parents <laughs> trying to hook up with other parents. That's what it's going to be. Ashley <laughs> Madison Mark II. <laughs> I'm for that. Oh, dear. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you're just kind of like, oh, no, it doesn't bear thinking about it. Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's move on. So, the little bit different thing is Ryder, who is currently on holiday in dubs. Mm. Mm. Dubs. Dubs. Dublin. Now, Dubai, I'm sure we've had this conversation. Dubai, he's from Essex, so it's dubs. I'm it? from Essex, and I've been to Dubai, and I've never called it dubs. It's what they call it on... Towies, right. Mm. Du on marbs, dubs. Dubs. Right, he's left us an envelope. And as you can see, this envelope is sealed, okay? Um, <laughs> this is going to be interesting for the audio. <laughs> I'll just, we're basically <laughs> deciding to record this for the podcast, but we're also videoing it for Instagram. Oh, Ryder decided that. LinkedIn, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, so this, this is interesting. We're, we're doing kind of cross-platforming. Cross so, audio, uh, we have a sealed envelope with Dave and Jack written in Ryder's fair handwriting, which we're going to open. We don't know what's in it. Not a clue. We're just going to react to whatever Ryder's left us. I hope we can read his handwriting. Yeah. Here we go. Ooh. I'm just, I just don't know what he's going to write. Femtech, what oh. does the future hold? Two dudes talking about Femtech. 
<laughs> what does the future hold? We know and have seen and spoken to fucking tens and twenties of fantastic women, right? Yeah. From I'm going to forget everyone's names, but from Kate, uh, Sex in the City, Safe in the City. Um, we've had uh, Babylon Health, Dr. Hannah yeah. Allen. Yeah. We've had Emily Fogues from Luminance. You know, we know that tech is being led by femmes, fem, females. Females. Femmes. Femmes. And mm. um, so I think the future's good, but when Ryder says femtech, does he mean that product that we always think, talked I about and never mentioned no, on the show. No, we shouldn't mention that product. Okay. Well, actually, no, let's not be prudish. Yeah, fuck it, do it. Right, so CES a couple of years ago had a male sex toy, but that was fine and we could fawn over that. But as mm. soon as they had a female sex toy, everyone got prudish. A little bit like we did, which, yeah. let's be honest, yeah. we, we do get a bit, ooh, about the female yeah. orgasm. Yeah. And, and vaginas in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not an area we're experts on. I don't know why we're talking about this on camera, but there we go. Thanks, Robert. Oh, yeah, sorry. What I do think the future holds is more femtech, right? Yes. If we're being perfectly honest, um, what we're beginning to see is a reappraisal of the family kind of stereotypes, gender stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're beginning to see more fathers and men embracing fatherhood yep. and family life. It's not about the man going out and being the breadwinner. There's more of a balance, I think, in the family unit. Mm. And if we if we hop back to our, our last podcast when we had Max talking about aging, that's one of the problems that obviously we're facing with with aging parents mm. when women have careers and so they mm. should, and that creates problems um, when it comes to looking after old people. Yeah, it does. Look, I'm I'm all up for the gender roles being totally reversed. Yeah. and I'll stay at home all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine watching Parks and Recreation exactly yeah but the great thing about more women being uh, supported by their husbands or partners and you know maybe same sex uh, partnerships but more women in a career being supported by their partner means that there will be more women at the driving front mm. of organisations and technology and that there are more women leading businesses it stands to reason there will be more products mm. built for women yeah. if we think about Wild AI who are going to be at our event on Thursday Thursday the 9th um, women's sex drive changes over the course of their life and that determines the abilities for which they can exercise. They have periods, so they can exercise stronger at some parts of the month than others. Men, to a large degree, are kind of flat. So uh, Fit, you... Fitbit wasn't built with a female natural cycle in mind. Was it not? Well, no, of course not. It doesn't think about yeah. you know female cycles there. So th the point being that there will be more femtech because the traditional roles that we have thought of in the family mm. unit are changing they're changing for the better and hopefully that leads to more female inspired products Gen Z don't give a fuck about gender anymore right Gen Z you, you, well gender's kind of fluid for well exactly yeah. which is only an amazing thing so this will actually end up just being in five years time for that perfect just oh. tech oh. Just, because, no, but because the younger generations us included and Gen Z less and less care if you're a man woman non-binary other who cares what you are if you're if, if you're passionate about tech if you're passionate about creating products and you're passionate about solving a problem couldn't give a fuck what you are there you go Ryder you gave us an envelope we've torn it up um yeah right thanks for coming in Jack yeah yeah I've got to go watch Arsenal lose in the Europa League now I don't think they're going to lose tonight I know you've been spanked in Premier League recently but I think that you will win the Europa League ah I take your optimism and uh, inject it into my veins because I do not share it.
I'm still looking at the camera like we're on. It's almost like we're a modern family now, you know. When the yeah, camera, but the thing they is, sit together. We're and, still on the podcast, but by this point, we'd have. Oh, we'd have cut from there. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we're yeah, not. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to be broadcasting this visual. This is the bit that no one listens to, anyway. Isn't it? I'd love. Look, I know we ask it every week. It just proves that no one listens. Just let us know if you're still listening now. Just tweet. I'll tell you what. We've got free tickets to the Way to Unbound on uh, the well at the end of July. It's in London. If you're in London uh, and you're or you're going to be in London at the end of July and you want to come to Unbound, um, tweet us um, the phrase "Jack, don't inject yourself." Arsenal are fantastic. It's quite a long tweet. If anyone, I mean, even if it's close to that, like, we'll, give, yeah. we'll give you a free Unbound yeah. ticket. There we go. There's another acid test if anyone's listening. <laughs> Acid's probably the wrong after talking about injecting. Uh, you I don't know, I don't know enough about drugs. You wouldn't inject acid, you put it on your tongue. With that, goodbye. Uh-huh.